Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Jen. I'm Amanda. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Fathomless. Welcome back. We just wanted to say thank you for joining us today and thank you for listening to our last episode. Uh, so Jen's just going to take it right away. We're just going to get right into it because we are on a recording spree right now. This is like our what our third episode in a row that we're doing. So Jen, what do you have for us? So the last case I covered took place in my hometown of Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I had just recently moved to New Hampshire. So I thought I would do some research to see what true crime cases took place in the area that I live in now. I love that. Cover something from your new hometown. Yeah. So are you ready to get into it? I'm so ready. Let's go. Okay, let's go. All right. So our case today takes place in the small town of Marlow, New Hampshire. It is March 1st, 1988, and a man named Clifton Chambers is on his deathbed. And he is about to reveal a secret that he has been holding on to for the past decade. That's ominous. So I'm just going to give you a little geography lesson. So just a little bit about the area. Marlow is a small town located in Cheshire County in the southwest corner of New Hampshire. And it is about 15 miles or about a 20 minute drive north from Keene, New Hampshire. Keene is a college town, and pretty much all of the residents in the surrounding towns have to go into Keene for anything they need. Grocery stores, hospitals, gas stations, Target, Walmart, most importantly, Starbucks. Obviously, the most important. The most important. So the town was named Marlow after Marlow, England, and you're going to see that that is a trend. A lot of these places are named after places in England. We're New England. Yes. Get it? So, according to the 2020 census, the population in Marlowe is only about 750 people. If you think you're from a small town, think again. At the time our story takes place, the population was even smaller, less than 600 residents. So, everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows what's going on in town. Yeah, that's a wicked small town. A very small town. So, let's get into our story. Russell Bean was 26 years old when he was last seen alive on September 15, 1978. His whereabouts remained unknown until a deathbed statement was revealed by Clifton Chambers 10 years later. Clifton implicated to his daughter Melissa that his son, Robert Chambers, had killed Russell Bean and even disclosed the location of Russell's body. Now, really quick, I might interchangeably use their first names or their last names. So when I say Chambers, I'm talking about Robert Chambers. If I say Bean, I'm talking about Russell Bean. Okay. So if I'm, I might say like, Robert did this. Chambers was da 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 yeah. I'm referring to the same person. It's just like how my notes and how my research kind of... I gotcha. Out. So it happens. It happens. So Clifton stated that Russell died after hitting his head on a rock during a fist fight and that he helped him, his son bury the victim. And he told his daughter, quote, he had just killed Russell and wanted to know what to do. He made his daughter promise not to say anything until after his death. 
So on March 9th, 1988, eight days after sharing this information with his daughter, Clifton Chambers passed away after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage. The next day, she went to the Keene Police Department to report the crime. So just a little bit about Robert Chambers and Russell Bean. Robert Chambers was a part-time police chief in Marlowe and Gilsom, New Hampshire. And Gilsom is actually the town I live in. Nice. Yeah. So Robert had a wife named Debbie. And, I mean, I couldn't really find a ton of, like, personal information on him. But Robert and his wife, they lived in Marlowe. He was the part-time police chief in Marlowe and surrounding town Gilsom. Now, these towns are so small that they don't have individual police departments. There is no Gilsom Police Department. There's no Marlowe Police Department. It's the county sheriff. So once in a while, like me driving through town, I'll just see, like, the county sheriff sitting there. Yeah. So it's teeny tiny, teeny tiny towns. So Chambers was a trainee and ready to become a full-time police officer for Winchester, which is about a 30-mile drive south of Marlowe and he was taking a 10-week course at the State Police Academy. A little bit about Russell, I couldn't really find any like date of birth information or anything about his upbringing, but he had a wife named Sylvia and they married in June of 1974. And they lived in the nearby town of Marlboro, which is just east of Keene. So Robert met Russell while they were working working together at a factory in Keene, and they became quote unquote drinking buddies. And Russell also helped Robert build his cabin, and you know, a little foreshadowing where his body would later be found. Ooh. Yeah, and this land was once owned by his father Clifton. So Russell and his wife were friends with Robert and his wife. And there were some rumors of wife swapping. Like swinging or just? Probably swinging, which if that's what you do, that's fine. Live your life. Live your life. But Robert's sister, Melissa, did say in a statement later on that, quote, the relationship between Robert, Russ, Sylvia, and Debbie was weird. It's called wife swapping. And that was going on before Debbie ran off and Russ disappeared. I know Robert always beat Debbie, and that's why she ran off. She couldn't take it anymore. So he was abusive. So he was abusive, it seems. That's so sad. So according to statements made by family members sometime in September 1978, the two were drinking together at an abandoned quarry. And they apparently got into a fight, and he allegedly fell, hitting his head on a rock, killing him instantly. Killing him instantly? Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that can happen like in, in certain spots. Yeah. Like, if you're hitting the head at like the sweet spot, like it can kill you. But they're in an abandoned quarry. These guys are like in their 20s at the time. Yeah. Why are, aren't you drinking at home? Like, yeah, I feel like, like that. Drinking at a quarry. I feel like 16? that's. Yeah. So that's a little weird. And I mean, I'll get into theories later. So I'm not going to mention this now, but I'm just going to keep going. Okay. So. You know, after that, Russell was not seen. His whereabouts were unknown. And fast forward a little bit to April of 1979. So about 
six, seven months after he went missing, Russell's wife, Sylvia, filed for divorce. And apparently an arrest warrant was issued for him when he allegedly abandoned his wife and child. So he didn't abandon them. You know, he he was deceased. Yeah, he died. And I'm sorry, if my husband went missing, I would not file for divorce less than a year later like you search and you search and you wait and you yeah. wait for answers if they're unknown yeah so that just seems a little it's a little suspicious a little suspicious to me so chambers robert chambers and his wife deborah separated in 1978 this right after russell disappeared and they divorced the next year so i just made a little note like both couples divorced the same year so Sylvia Bean, Russell's wife, married Chambers one year after Russell's disappearance, and she settled into Chambers' cabin, and he became the police chief not long after this. So he basically kills this guy, divorces his wife, takes the guy's, the guy's wife, wife that he killed, and then has her move into his cabin where... That is scandalous. Yeah, yeah, yep. So this guy, this guy becomes the police chief. Not long after he commits this crime and takes this guy's wife. So on March eleventh, nineteen eighty-eight, we're fast forwarding here after the deathbed confession. A few days after Robert's sister Melissa went to the police, the police were granted a search warrant of Robert Chambers' property. So they're going to try and find the body. Yeah. So I actually, I think it was the same day or like a day later, uh, the conflicting things in the reports I read, but she goes to the police department right after her father passes a week after holding onto the secret files, the police report, the police get a search warrant of Robert Chambers property. And his property was on Newell road in new, sorry, Newell pond road in Marlowe. And I Googled, Google Maps that, and it's about 15 minutes from where I live. Oh, my God. Yeah. We actually, me and my husband actually looked at, like, a house or two in Marlowe before we bought our house in Gilsum. I'm glad you didn't move there. I mean, if there's, if you look up the, if you look up the crime statistics in that area, it's next to nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's next to nothing. And I'd like to keep it that way. Yes. So, digging began that same day that they got the warrant and the day that they began began digging was the same day that chambers robert chambers graduated from the police academy are you serious so he's graduating from the police academy he's already like a part-time police chief so and i don't i don't know if you're able to like work in that position before you actually graduate the police academy that's you think you're like that, maybe intern or something. Yeah, and it, like this was also like the 70s, 80s, so time was probably different. It was different back yeah. then. So he's probably shitting his pants graduating from the police academy while they're, they're digging up his father's house looking for a body. Yes. Yeah. So a keen judge ruled that authorities must make public the information prosecutors use to obtain search warrants. To dig for Russell's body in Chambers' yard. The Keene Sentinel, Sentinel, I think I said that correctly. It's a newspaper out of Keene. 
asked district court judge Richard Talbot to open the warrants file, which the attorney general's office wanted sealed. Talbot did approve these warrants, but he ruled the information would be released at a later date. So the original warrants were sought for March 11th, and they didn't want these to be public until March 25th, two weeks later. That's crazy. Um, so the reasoning for this is because they didn't want information to reach potential jurors so that the accused could get a fair trial. Yes. Also, I think that newspaper is Centennial. Centennial? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how you say that. But there's no I in the middle. Sentinel. I could be totally wrong. I don't know. Why? The English language is <laughs> a, it's just an enigma. Yes. So reporters asked Chambers to make a statement as police were searching his property and he said, quote, I'd like to comment, but I can't right now. What? If you like to comment, then say something. Yeah. like He just, his lawyer, he probably had already lawyered up. Yeah. And his lawyer was like, don't say shit. Probably. So smart, I guess. So they're digging in this backyard in March. And the weather in New England in March the ground is cold, it's yeah. it's wet, it's muddy. Yeah, it's still partially frozen in most spots, especially up north. Like, yeah. It's longer. Yeah, but March also is, like, you get a lot of rain, too. So, like, it snows yeah. and then it rains, so everything's very everything's muddy and melting. gross. Yeah. So, these are the conditions that they're searching in. So, the police dug for three days using shovels and backhoes. And on March 14th, when their hole was 20 feet deep, and 25 feet in diameter, they found the skeletal remains of Russell Bean. And he had to be identified by dental records oh because, again, there were skeletal remains. Yeah. And these remains were caked in mud. His bones were caked in mud. Ooh. So the day Russell was recovered was the same day Clifton Chambers was buried. Oh yeah, God. yeah. So an autopsy was performed on March 17th by state police forensic pathologist, Dr. Roger Fossum. And he revealed that Russell's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. And I also saw that there was a chest injury as well. Okay. Attorney General's office said a weapon was used in Bean's death, but it was not recovered. And I'm not sure if they like, I'm sure they can um, decipher if it was a weapon use versus falling on a rock injury. Yeah. But I know if you, do you remember that episode of Degrassi where that girl got pushed? I think it was Terry. She got pushed and like her head got hit on a rock yes. and she was like in a hospital forever. I do remember that. Yeah. So that can like really like oh, yeah. be dangerous. Head injuries are not, it's, it can get really, really bad. Yeah. So, Bossom, the ME, he, or the forensic pathologist, he took some of these remains to Maine to be examined by a forensic anthropologist. And this forensic anthropologist also concluded the head and chest injuries, and his death was ruled a homicide. So this news has left the 600 residents of this rural community shocked leaving them to speculate on what happened. And, you know, in small towns, rumors sped pretty fast. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people were saying, Robert couldn't do it. You know, he's the police. And some, who was it? Oh, it was the elder chamber's brother-in-law. His name was Harry Briggs. 
And he said, quote, Melissa was very bitter against Robert. They always fought back and forth. And he speculated that she was making it up. Now, look, like, I grew up with older brothers. We're back and forth all the fucking time. Like, not so much as adults. But, I mean, why would you? She can't make it up. There was a, the body was found in this guy's yard. Like, that. You don't just have bodies in your yard just, you know, just laying around because it's just coincidence. Yeah. That's not how that works. So after the body was found, Robert Chambers did resign as the chief of police. I know, like, he was... The rules are different in different towns. He took, like, a leave of absence for one. He was let go from another. Um, but he stepped back from his position. And he stated, I did not kill Russ Bean to the newspaper in his first public comment about the discovery. So, I don't know. I don't believe you, Robert mm, Chambers. If you didn't, then why did you bury him in your backyard and not just and, call the police when you guys got in a fight? And why did you steal his ex-wife? And Yeah, yeah. why did you marry his wife? So, again, like many people didn't believe Chambers could have done this. Someone quoted, he went by the book when he became a police officer. He would have arrested his mother if he saw her spitting on the sidewalk. So, I mean, that's... I mean, but somebody could also do that if they felt really guilty about a dark past that they had. Yeah, so. Then, you know, be super, super strict about the penal code and all that shit. Yeah, so even Sylvia Russell's ex-wife, Robert's current wife, she was questioned by state police for five hours, denying involvement in the death of her ex-husband. And she also denied any knowledge that she knew the body was there. She also denied the wife-swapping rumors, which, I mean, whatever. I don't know how relevant that is, but if there was some sort of, like, jealousy involved, maybe that's what they got into a fight about. True. I mean, she also, it's a small town. She may not have wanted that out about her. I mean, even to this day, polygamy or, like, you know, swinging, anything like that isn't, like, I mean, you live your life, like we said before, but... It's not always accepted by normal society, especially probably in a small, small town that only has mm-hmm. a couple hundred residents. So she may have tried to just sweep that under the rug for her own sake, which I get. Yeah. And the fact that, like, she divorced Russell less than a year after his disappearance and married the guy who was later accused of killing him. Like, it just kind of seems like an inside job almost. Yeah, that, like they, that's just, yeah. yeah. In the words of Bailey Sarian, suspicion. I fucking love Bailey Sarian. She's awesome. I love her. So Chambers was arrested for the murder one month after authorities dug up Russell's remains. He was charged with second degree murder and he spent the weekend in the Cheshire County Jail unable to make his $200,000 bail. If he's convicted of this murder, he could be sentenced to life in prison. So his lawyer called the affidavits, quote, low quality, unsubstantiated, blatant hearsay. However, the attorney general's office said that it was satisfied with the progress of the investigation and expected an arrest. So his lawyer, his name was Mark Sisti. He also stated that, quote, my client had nothing to do with causing the death of Mr. Bean. But, you know, he couldn't answer questions about how the body came to be buried in his yard and whether Chambers knew of the burial or his sister's reported comments. And everything with, like, the court and all this, 
very hush hush. And I, I really do think that that has a lot to do with the fact he was, you know, on yeah. the police force. Yeah, he's part of the justice system. Yeah. Or what it's supposed to be. Yeah. So New Hampshire's rules of evidence excludes hearsay evidence in court. Clifton's, quote, dying declarations were considered hearsay, but there are some exceptions to this. Under one rule of the New Hampshire rules of evidence, one exception is, quote, in a prosecution for a homicide, a statement made by a declarant while believing that his or her death was imminent concerning the cause or circumstances of the impending death. So Robert Chambers' lawyer disagreed with this exception on two counts. So he stated that the father was not making a statement about a person that he thought was causing the death. But but he did. Yeah, that, that's kind of exactly what... That's exactly a, what happened. It, that, that's what a deathbed confession is. Well, the deathbed thing is like the second part, but like... He said he's he wasn't directly accusing the guy, but he did. He literally said, my he son did. killed this guy. I helped him bury the body. Here's where you can find His it. exact words were he called me after he killed him and wanted to know what to do with the body. Like Exactly. And the second count was that the father's statements to Melissa were made days before he suffered this cerebral hemorrhage. Hemorrhage, sorry. Uh, and he was... And this was considered not a dying declaration because it was like days before, but it was like, you're not on your deathbed and there's no specific time where you're like, some people can be in hospice for years. Some people yeah. can be in hospice for a day before they pass. Exactly. I don't know if he was on hospice, but the Obviously reports made it unwell. seem, yeah, the reports yeah. made it seem like he was on his deathbed and he knew he was going to die. And, you know, I don't know what his pre-existing like ailments were that led up to all this yeah. but the lawyer is just trying to clearly find a fucking loophole yeah, he's just saying oh no us. there was there was too much time between his confession and that like fuck you dude like yeah you don't that's... that guy did not know exactly when he was gonna die and he clearly knew that he was going to exactly. soon so yeah i don't think the lawyer's I mean, reasoning is that is a lawyer for you they got to do everything they can to implement some kind of reasonable yeah. doubt so i guess but i mean but also the defense not agree. the defense challenged the fact that the father is dead and his reliability cannot be tested which true but but also the accused has the right to confront their accuser so robert chambers has the right in court to confront his accuser, his father, Clifton Chambers. Yeah, which so, and, he didn't get that right because he, he died. So these are just, like, loopholes that they're going through. And also, yeah. like, I don't know all the specifics of, you know, I'm not, a, not I'm, lawyers. I'm not a lawyer and I, I don't want to be a lawyer because no. it's just a lot. And I know there's loopholes in court. I know, you know, you need hard physical evidence. Also, this is fucking 1988 when all this came to light. We didn't yeah. have forensics. Yeah. I feel like if blood typing and that was if, it. I feel like if it was today, this guy would be absolutely charged and they would have physical evidence and DNA evidence. But everything is circumstantial pretty much in this case. And that's that's basically how we got off with it. So he was freed after a panel of jurors decided that there was not enough evidence to, to convict him of second degree murder. 
And one lawyer, his name was John Garvey, he called the grand jury's action, quote, very rare. When an attorney general seeks indictment, they usually get it. So the grand jury refused to, you know, prosecute him on this charge. And those involved in the case declined to discuss the proceeding and it still remains a secret under the law. And I know that, like, if you're part of a jury, you really can't talk about things. You can't. I don't know if that's just before or if you're free to talk about things after. But it seemed like the whole trial and the court findings were very, like, hush-hush. And there's not much information about it except that, you know, not a lot of evidence. He was freed. They couldn't. They didn't have that hard evidence to convict him, even though literal fucking bones were dug up in his, his backyard like what? It, no he owned it was well, his, in his backyard yeah it, it was land that was once owned by his father and then it's he he his. inherited yeah he inherited the land and then built his cabin or is- i think he russell helped him build the cabin so he got some of the land beforehand but i mean they were friends they knew each other they were drinking buddies they might have yeah. been involved in swinging regardless and the in, bones were in the back and the bone all, everything leading up just points like you're guilty yeah um so again not much was known about what went on in that courtroom but he was let go of all charges so after robert chambers was freed from all his charges he did not stay out of trouble because in november of 1988 just you know a few months after all this was come to light about Russell Bean. The former police chief was arrested because he allegedly assaulted a Swansea woman and Swansea is a town like just south of Keene. And this stems from an incident on October 25th. He struck a woman named Robin Scarborough in the face with his fist. Lovely. Yeah. So apparently Chambers was living with her for six weeks. So I don't know if because I know like his wife Russell's ex-wife Sylvia you know now Robert Chambers wife she left him after all this okay yeah so she didn't stick around so he was probably seeing this woman I'm not sure like a winner so. yeah winner winner so I- I'm assuming so I don't I'm not sure if they were seeing each other they could have just been friends but anyway he he assaulted her and she was treated at Keene Hospital and released but the hospital reported the attack to the police so hmm. good um, he was released on bail and he only received a 60 day sentence, 60 days, 60 days. So okay. he, again, he's getting let off the fucking hook. Yeah. Just another slap on the wrist. Okay. And it's just like, you know, you just got acquitted of, of murder. Yeah. And, and now you're slapping assault another human you, being. Yeah. Yeah. So he's my guy, but this, this isn't where it ends. It's not. No, there, there's another thing. Um, so in 2016, he was indicted on charges of sexually assaulting a child. Are you kidding me? No. So he was charged with seven counts of aggravated felonous sexual assault. And he was accused of abusing a child that he knew between 1994 and 2000. And at the time, this child was between the ages of 9 and 14. Okay, so he's like an actual piece of human garbage. Yeah, and I'll show you a picture. We're going to post pictures of him. Does he look like a troll? I hope he just looks like, like a fucking foot. He's, he's awful looking. Ugh, um, 
So we will post pictures. He literally looks like a human fucking foot. <laughs> yeah. um, look like a foot if you're going to be that gross of a person. So again, this was a child, like a little girl that he knew. I don't know what the relationship was. But the victim did take the stand, and she said the abuse started even earlier when she was seven. What an incredibly brave Yeah, child. that's what I was thinking. I was oh like, to, to show up in court and to face yeah, your abuser. Relive your trauma? Like, yeah. That's, I mean, oh and, and it sucks to say, but, like, it's so important that people do that because that's really how these is. people get justice. Just, I, I commend anybody who has the strength to be able to do that and just live through it and it just it's it's a lot and it's so good for the people who who really struggle and can't use their own voice Mm -hmm. and i feel like it was very healing for her i can't speak on her behalf but i hope that she was i hope so yeah because uh he was found guilty and because of some sort of like court technicality i didn't find the reasoning why he was only sentenced on three of these aggravated sexual assault felonies but he was sentenced to minimum 25 years in prison okay and he's 60 he was 65 at the time of his sentencing so hopefully he doesn't outlive his sentence because he does not deserve to be out walking about enjoying fresh air no or good food so i think that because he gets away with this murder who knows what other crime he was doing while working as a police chief and he gets away with slapping, punching a woman. He gets away with assaulting a child for years before she decided to come forward. And I'm happy that she did come forward yeah. and he was put in jail. But he lived most of his life as a free guy. He didn't go to jail till he was 65. That annoys me. Yeah. So it just when you think of all this and you think of he was a person of authority, like, if I'm driving through town and I get pulled over by the sheriff or the police chief or whatever, you know, police officer is, you know. Yeah. You so, want to be able to trust them. They're supposed to be the members of your community Imagine that to save you and help you. Imagine if this guy was the police chief today and he pulled me. Like, who knows what he, if was, he. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's gross. And this man is now in jail. And. Good. I hope he fucking rots there. Yeah. So. I hope every day sucks and somebody spits in your food every single day. And I hope you stub your toe all the time. And I hope your prison mattress is very uncomfortable. And I hope your pillow is very flat. And. And you probably smell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Ripping this guy apart. (laughs) I'm sorry. We had to for a minute. Yeah. yeah. We could help myself. Oh, I could go on and say way worse things, but. Um, better than that yeah so just i hope you have a miserable life robert chambers rotting in jail because i do believe that he did have something to do with the death of russell bean whether he accidentally hit his head after some sort of altercation whether he uh, assaulted him with a weapon but you murdered a man and you put him in your backyard yeah. and you took his wife and yeah. you lived most of your life free. You kept getting away with things. You were assaulting children and you're a just, sick yeah, fuck. You're a gross troll person. So after almost 45 years now, this is still an open cold case. 
Not sure how it's an open cold case when we clearly know who fucking did it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the family still wants answers. Which they deserve. They deserve closure. They do. They do. So, if anyone with any information about the unsolved murder of Russell Bean is encouraged to call the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit at 603-271-2663. So... That being said, please don't call them and harass them about Robert Chambers on behalf of us. That's not what we want you to do. Oh, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like if someone called and be like, hey, yeah. like, if you I really do think this guy did it or, yeah, pertinent information, it's still an open cold case and Russell deserves justice. He does. So I, I tried to find an obituary for Russell. I tried to find some information. I really couldn't. It the it kind of more so focused on his wife. Like all the articles focus on like his wife yeah. and how she left him. And that's th- so sad. Yeah, social media sensationalized that part of it and not the mm-hmm. person who truly matters. Mm-hmm. But he was found, and you know, I I do believe that the family probably did some sort of burial or funeral for him. I'm sure they had a memorial yeah. of some yeah. kind. But if Clifton Chambers never revealed the secret. Who knows if he would have been found. He yeah. still would have been 15 minutes from my house underground. So so I guess the silver lining we can take from this is that he was found. And I'm sure his yeah. fa- family has laid him to rest. And At least they got that. Yeah. And at, than- and at least Robert Chambers is in jail. Unfortunately, it's not for murder. He should be in jail for murder, too. And if he was put in jail for murder, he would have never had the chance to sexually assault this girl. And, you know, her life would have turned out so much different. Yeah. So I feel like the justice justice system failed Russell Bean. I feel like they failed this girl who was later assaulted by Robert Chambers. And they failed that little girl. Yeah. Yeah. So I... It's sad. Yeah, it's a really sad sad case. So, you know, this is something that happened close to where I live, which I thought was, you know, I wanted to kind of report on that. And I'm definitely going to look into other cases around New Hampshire. But, you know, as this podcast grows and as we do more episodes, you know, we're going to... We're going to cover a variety of cases and people and bring, gonna, bring awareness and attention. I have a fucking doozy coming up for you guys in a few weeks. Okay, I'm excited. I know we have a whole list of we cases do. and we we're, we're our oh, first Tupata. Tupata, yep. a Tupata. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we have an ongoing list, but we're always open to suggestions. I actually have a friend who is not a true crime listener whatsoever. She has no idea. Like, she had never heard of Maura Murray. She had never heard of JonBenet Ramsey. Wow. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Right? How do you not know about JonBenet? Yeah. How do you not know about JonBenet? That case, I want to cry. Like, it frustrates the fuck out of me. And it just all, I can't make sense of what happened with her. I know. And that's probably not going to ca- be a case that we cover just because everyone knows all the information yeah. on John Bonet Ramsey. There's, There's really not much more to report on than what's yeah. already been reported. But I mean, she didn't know about these cases, right? She sends me this case that happened in Kingston. A little, really? yeah. It's, Massachusetts? It's not, um, it's not the one from Rocky Nook. 
it's okay. a it's a different girl it's not that, Tracy Gilpin. No, we're gonna cover Tracy Gilpin, but we I want to cover this other case that my friend sent me because. She said that her mom told her about this case when she was young Ooh. and that it kind of just stuck with her. Like, you know, be careful when you're out walking around. Like, you yeah. never know. This girl went missing. So she sent me this information. So this is definitely a case I'm going to cover. So even if you're not a, a true crime enthusiast. Yeah, but you're and, from the area. And you know of a case, like, we want to hear it. Yeah. Because I might have not heard about it. Yeah. So with that, I think we're going to... We're going to end it there, right? We're going to end it there. It. Yeah, so thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure that you follow us on our social media. You can follow us at Instagram um, or on Instagram at FathomlessPod. That's Fathomless, P-O-D at the end. Uh, same for Twitter. You can follow us at FathomlessPod. And if you want to drop a case suggestion or just want to tell us, you know, how awesome you think we are, you can send us an email at FathomlessPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed. We hope you stay spooky, stay scary, and and stay stay safe. safe. Bye.